we're in this series called Marriage because effectively that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're trying to say this is what this is. And so many people that um, I talk to and that I counsel, um, I, I don't really spend time telling them what to do. You know, they come in and they want to know, well, what should we do? And how do we fix this? And how do we, what do we do next? And what's the wisdom? And, and we spend time on that. But the, the majority of the time in counseling with people and pre-marriage counseling, in crisis when people are, are getting ready to go through a whole spell or whenever they're having real trouble, the majority of the time is what I do is I listen and then I realize that people's expectations and people's understanding of marriage is not the way it's laid out in the scripture. And so I'm spending the majority of my time going, oh, we need to talk about what marriage is. You don't understand what you, what you got into. Like the Christian view of marriage is different than what you're kind of revealing you believe it is with the way you're, you're oriented towards this, this relationship that you're in. And so I spend a lot of time saying, this is what marriage is. And so today, um, I'm gonna continue down that road. I'm not going to give you the advice that you want on your particular specific situation. Like one of the things that is really hard to, to articulate in, in, a, in a message like this is the idea of authority and how you choose autonomously to come to this church or not. And if I were to tell you to do something that you don't wanna do, I really don't have real authority in your life, right? Like if you don't like it, you just leave and go somewhere else. And that's not healthy for you. But also I have chosen because I know that that's true, that I don't really spend my time trying to tell people what to do. I share with people, this is what the scriptures say. This is the way we should live our lives. Here's an idea, here's the way it should be. But I am not going to, in this message today, answer your questions about your situation where you go, yeah, but what about my, yeah, but like he did, yeah, but she said, but what about, what about this? What we're gonna do today is continue to look at what marriage is, what it is and how we get there and what the heart of marriage actually is because it's the most important factor related to the relationship that you're in and what you should do. And as we kind of understand it, it will reorient us. A lot of people wanna know, like you get right down to it, what about divorce? If they do this, can I get divorced? They cross the line, right? This is a conversation that Jesus is, is had with. He, he, they asked, what about adultery? Can, can we get divorced? And he says, well, if, you know, Moses gave you this certificate of, of divorce because of the hardening of your hearts. That's one way of saying, I really don't want you to get divorced. But since you, you have someone does something, then your hearts get hard, and sure, you're allowed, but I have never once said to someone who's even in that situation, oh good, you should do that, go get divorced, because they did that, never once. What I tell people is, God hates divorce. He never, ever wants it. And you're like, well, yeah, but he did this to me. No, 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 he hates that he did that to you. He hates that she's that way. He hates that it's brought, it's come to this. It's, it, it breaks his heart. We have a God who designed in, in the world that we live in, the pattern of marriage, of, of, the, of the uniting of heaven and earth, of the way that the world works together and the way that humans exemplify that in their lives. And the last thing he wants is for people who come together, 
whom the scriptures say are brought together where the two become one flesh and that God says no one should take apart, he, the last thing he wants is that to be separated. He hates it. So again, you're sitting there and you're going, well, wait a minute, what about mine? And you wanna be justified. If you have gone through a divorce and, and you feel it was justified, like you feel they crossed the line, or maybe it was unhealthy and that person was abusive, like I'm never gonna tell you in, the, in sitting with you like, oh, like even though he's abusive, you know, you should stay in it. I'm gonna say God hates that this is happening and boundaries are important. Boundaries are actually a way to hate love. Do you know this? Because what you're saying to someone when they're mistreating you and you're putting up boundaries is I'm not okay with that behavior. Not you, I still want you. So I will tell people, get separated. If there's abuse, you can't stay in that. I will never tell anyone ever that they should get divorced because what I say is, that's not what God wants. Now what happens? People get divorced. What does this mean? It means tear your clothes, put ashes on your head, weep and cry because it breaks God's heart. It is not what he ever, ever wants. So I just want you to understand that you may be in that and you may want, you're gonna want, you're gonna feel as I go through this message, but what about, what about me? What about my situation? What about what he did? What about what she did? What about this? What about that? Please don't go there. What we're gonna do today is we're gonna go to the heart and the place of God. We're gonna look at him. We're gonna look at you. What every person has to do, which is so hard to do, is look in the mirror. If you're sitting in this room and you cannot help but be thinking, I'm so glad they're here to hear this. They need to hear this. You're missing it. You need to hear this. Husbands need to hear this. Husbands need to go look in the mirror. It's your job to become like Christ. Wives, you need to go look in the mirror. You need to hear this. Every one of us have to have something change inside of us so that we can bring the supernatural into this relationship that we're in. So when Paul tells husbands, says, love your wives, that's for husbands. That's not for wives to go, see? And when he says, wives, love your husband and respect him, that's not for husbands to go, see, you need to respect me. See, every person is supposed to fall in love with and be transformed into the brand and the reality of love that God alone has created, not the kind that you've been caught up in, not the whole idea that you've been given in this world that we live in. And we're gonna talk about that. So here's the recap for this series. Week one, what we said is that, that marriage, like I've alluded to already, is so much more than just that relationship that you're in, that you were in, that you're going into. It's so much more. It's a picture of God's will for the world. Marriage is a picture of his will. When he started this, this place, it was heaven and earth together. And what broke God's heart is the divorce of heaven and earth. And he did everything he could to bring it back together. And that's why marriage is not just a picture of God's will for the world, heaven and earth together, humans together, the land, the sea, all the created order has this kind of connection point. It's a picture of God's love for the world because after the great divorce of heaven and earth, Jesus does everything he can and is called the groom who gives himself for the bride, lays down his life so that he can bring what she needs, that's us, the church, 
the forgiveness that we need in order to have a good relationship. And that is the central key and picture to marriage for both parties. Wives are supposed to look at that and go, I need to love my husband the way that Christ loved the church and died for it. I need to give my life. And the husband needs to go, I'm supposed to lead this way. I'm supposed to lay down my life. Because this is what God's intention is, love, self-giving love. And that's why last week what we looked at was that so many people, when they get married, they really don't know what they signed up for. They, they think they signed up for the unconditional, but then it becomes conditional because it's like, oh yeah, but, but, but. Because you stand up in front of all your friends and all your family and you say, I take you to be your wife, to be your, to be your husband from this day forward. I promise God and you that from this day forward, I will love you all the days of my life. I will seek your needs and your desires regardless of our circumstances. Today, I promise God and you that I'm making a covenant. I mean, I've done this so many times that that's, you say all that stuff and you say that for better or for worse, but then it's like up parentheses, small print is actually if it gets really bad, I won't. I'm out. And that's, that's the breakdown because what marriage means is that you've signed up for daily intentional self-giving actions. It's not a thing about what they are gonna do. It's a commitment you're making. So you're saying when you get married, you understand you can't make somebody else make a vow to you. So when you get married, you're saying to them, I'm committed to you regardless. And here's my commitment daily, intentional, self-giving action. So last week we looked at Ephesians chapter five, one of the most controversial, misunderstood passages because people think that it's a passage about showing male dominance over the woman. What it's actually showing is that leadership in Christian lives needs to look like Jesus did, not like Rome did. Not authoritarian, not I make the rules, I got the final word, but I will use my strength and it is my responsibility to take care of you and utilize all I have to bring about life and goodness to this relationship. And genuinely, the picture of the New Testament gospel is that male and female, slave and free, whatever nationality, all come to the same table. And so in marriage, it's two people coming together and if you wanna call the male the leader, what it is is he has the responsibility to lead. His primary way of leading is through self-giving actions. Not through being the rule maker. Not through the Roman fist, not through the chariots, not through the swords, but through meekness and kindness and servanthood. So what we looked at last week is a whole brand new idea of what it means to lead. No woman will ever be upset at their husband who just runs out in front to lay down his life, to supply the needs for her, uh, his, his wife, and just ask constantly, what do you need? How can I serve? What can I do? All this is for you. No woman will have a problem with that. None. Thank you, sweetie. Please do all those things. So one of the, the takeaways last week is we said that you have to ask daily, ask daily how you can help so that you get the opportunity and then you learn them so much that you do them before they ask and then they're done and then you do more things. And if both people do this, now they're signed up for, now they're doing a marriage. And we talked about the absolute ludicrous notion that people will get married, they will get married 
And then they will be like, oh, but I'm not gonna go to the Giant Eagle. I gotta go, go to Kroger. Like literally, like, like fights, like I will not. And, and particularly, it's frustrating to me when a man thinks that leadership is telling everybody what to do. When Jesus didn't display that as leadership, he said, love your enemies. He turned his cheek. He served. He forgave. The picture of leadership that Jesus gives is probably most profoundly painted and experienced the night before he gets crucified, right? When he washes his disciples' feet. I mean, listen, feet washing is weird. Like, I, there's some people in the Grace Brethren tradition that they do that. There's some people that are here. Nick, are you here? Are you here? They, someone did a foot washing. Someone did one in our church, and they, they did it. It's a great, it's almost like sacramental, and it, it, it means something because, it's, man, Jesus did that. But it is freaking weird if you wash someone's feet, especially if they're getting married. You know, you got the thin black socks, and they're sticky and sweaty, and you got to pull all that stuff off, and then you bring the basin up, and you're up there, and she's got to move her dress. It's weird. It is weird. And it's a little too weird for, for the symbol that it is, but during the time, right, you understand foot washing, that was like a servant's job. That was like the no one, you don't know their name. Their, their, whole, their whole garb is covered in dirt and fecal matter from walking on the roads where, you know, donkeys and horses, I mean, that's what it was. And people are walking through that and they're gonna sit and have a nice meal. And just like we wash our hands, you don't go to the table with dirty feet. You get your feet washed. So you go over and you have the person who is just there to do the nastiest thing that has to happen for us to commune together. That's what a foot washer was. Now, now at what point in your mind did, it, did you go, oh yeah, that's what a husband should do? That's a husband, a servant. That's the picture of leadership. Not Rome, not the swords, They'd come to get him in Gethsemane, the man who got on his knees and washed their feet. You have to get a completely, radically different view of what leadership is if you understand you're gonna be in a marriage. I promise I'm not mad. I know I'm coming off so heavy-handed. I'm not. I'm so happy to be telling you this. Um, I have to say, like, the reason that I'm so passionate about it is we're in trouble. We're in trouble. I have the responsibility, the privilege, the burden of being the focal point for when the crisis hits in, in this community, the, the, the person that you go to. Can I just say we're in trouble? That's why I'm so passionate about this. What I want to do is say, this is what I say. This is what helps. This is what heals. We need reoriented. So that's why I'm so, I'm so worked up about it. This is literally like, like this is, you know, 2003. I mean, we're talking 20 years of engaging with people in different levels and spaces in their marriage, and this is, this is what happens, and this is what I talk about, and this stuff is the stuff of the Holy Spirit's movement in people's lives to give them a supernatural chance. So it's just, it's so real to me. 
great friend of mine, probably watching right now, one of the, really the founding members of this church, him and his wife, I had, you know, I got to sit down with them a couple weeks ago. We had a drink. We were just sitting at North Star, and I don't know how, we're talking about marriage, and they told this story. This is a great story. Uh, both of them were married, and then they both got divorced, and then they both got remarried, and he had a daughter with his uh, previous wife, and a couple years later, when the daughter's like two or three years old, his ex-wife completed taking her own life. And then subsequent to that, a man came along and said, and that's not your daughter. Your wife is having an affair with me and I'm the dad. And he went, no way, not true. So they fought over, fought over it in court. After five years, they, the paternity test actually happened and it was true, it was not his daughter. And the man came to court to win custody back of the daughter, and this is, this is the way my friend tells the story, he was such a ding-dong, he was such a psycho in court that the judge didn't give him custody. He let, him, let the daughter stay safely with this man that had raised him even though it's not his biological daughter. And the man just lost control and he lost, so he had quite a whirlwind. Now he'd been married, for maybe a year at this point to his new wife and she finds out, oh my goodness, you know, you have a daughter and now it's not your daughter and now they have to go fight for custody and then he fought for custody to keep this daughter even though it wasn't hers because he loved this daughter. It's an amazing story. Well, they go home after they find out that the girl's not hers and they, they, get, uh, they get some information, uh, the paper comes. And on the front news of the, of, on the front page of the paper on the front porch, this is how people used to get their news. There was like a piece of paper, like it was lots of different pieces, and they wrapped it together. And sometimes they put a rubber band around it. But if you open it up, there's like five or six different sections, and then like information. They printed this every night, and then they put it on trucks, and they deliver it to your house. That's how we found stuff out. It was weird. It, it was such a process. You drive downtown, and you'll see giant brick buildings that were made to make newspapers, and now they're just like cool retro restaurants that you all go to and sip martinis on. But, but, but they, she goes out, and on the front page of the newspaper, there's a story of a woman pastor who is wanted by the FBI, and she's fleeing the country because for 20 years, she has been doing weddings, and they're not real. None of them are legit. And it was the woman that married them. And so she's, he goes, well... I guess if you want out, now's your chance. Like, I mean, we're not even married. We just went through this circus, and now we're not even officially married, and she's sweet. His wife, she's Southern, she said, oh, she said, I laughed, it's fine. We're fine, she said. And he was just not feeling it. But if you're honest, You've been there, right? Have you ever been, now don't admit it, but just, just confirm with the Holy Spirit and the quietness of your mind, that you've had that moment where you're like, yeah, I think I, if I could get out, I would have taken that out. I'd like to get out. You know, like, come on, if you're, if you're real, like, you know you've had that moment where you've been out, like, you can talk about it later, or you can, like, if you can really ask, like, have you ever really wanted out? Like, oh, me, no, of course I've never wanted out. I think to be honest, you know, there was a movie that made me think of it one time, but you, sweetie, no, not you. I would never want out of this thing with you. You're, you're my little pookie bear. That's what, that's what you gotta say to not completely make this marriage series, just, just make everything go in the tank. 
But the truth is, right, that you've all had that cross your mind. Could I get out of this? You know, I'd love like a get out of jail free. Ooh, the language on that, get out of jail. You ever felt like you were in jail? You ever felt like you were trapped? You ever felt like you made a mistake? And you, 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 you know, and then you think maybe God made a mistake. And you're going, I just want, I just, can I just get out of this thing? Now, I don't, I don't fully agree with this, and it's profound, but a professor of mine in seminary said it this way. These are the kind of things I'll say, because again, we're not, we're not trying to fix your specific situation. We're trying to understand who God is, and we're trying to understand what marriage is. And eventually, these two come together. But I had a professor that said, you can get married to the wrong person, but you can't be married to the wrong person. Something divine happens, right? Like the two become one. And some of you are going, no, 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 no. No, no, no. Got married to the wrong person and married to the wrong person and one out. And here's, here's what I wanna share with you as we just kind of allow what God reveals about marriage and the nature of it kind of sweep over us. You know, almost like this is the way I view it, like you're sitting on the beach, right? And at first, we, our idea of marriage is we're sitting on the beach and the tide's down there. And then as we learn what marriage is, it just comes and starts to wash up on our feet. And then it washes up over our hips. And then eventually, if we don't move, it just, it just covers us. And that's what needs to happen today. The, the nature of marriage in God's heart just needs to move up onto you. And you just need to let it wash over you and let it affect you. Because the truth about Christian marriage is that Christians, and when I say the word Christian, I mean it in the, in the real definition of its, of its intention. The word Christian, when you say you're a Christian, for so many people, it is thought that it means you say you believe something, you espouse to something, or you said a prayer. And while that's true, that's not holistic. That's not what it means to be a Christian. You see, the word Christian in the Bible means little Christ. And the implications, the direct, specific, explicit implications of being Christian means you do what Jesus does. You're a follower of Jesus. So you follow him. You actually behave, and you're moving in the direction of behaving like Jesus. So when we're talking about marriage, Christians who understand to be Christ in this world and, and to be transformed into the likeness of Christ is the purpose of God's work in our life. It's the purpose of heaven and earth coming back together is to be a human fully alive. Christians never actually want out of a marriage because your, your brand of what marriage is and what love is is just not something that you get out of. It's not what you ever want. It's bigger than you. They literally actually do the opposite and give everything they can to keep it together. The only way a Christian marriage works is when we bring Christ's behavior to the marriage. Now, of course, some of you are going, well, I'm saved, like, but it's not perfect. Just, no one is. We're all on the journey. We're talking about the nature of marriage if you think that you get it, if you think that you've got it, if you think that you're there, then you have lowered and debased God's goodness and the divine reality of who he is to such a state that you could touch it, and it is not touchable. 
The nature of God's heart, the nature of what marriage is, the nature of being like Jesus is beyond our capabilities sans his intervention into our hearts and lives. You have to have it. So the ability to be married, it comes from having the heart of God. Healthy marriages have two hearts becoming like God's heart. Healthy marriages have two hearts that are shifting away from whatever Roman candle, Hollywood, hot pink idea of love you have into this idea of marriage that is so other that you just say, it's nothing that I I would never even consider being out of this because that's not what marriage is. That's that's the picture of marriage and I'm gonna show you that. I'm gonna show you God's approach to relationship in the scriptures and you read about it already and we'll look there. I've told you this before, I was married by a man, my wife and I were married by a man who married us on his 51st wedding anniversary, August 2nd, 2003. He was married 51 years. And he had spent the latter part of his life creating a church that was based upon broken marriages and wanting to help people in their marriages and their life and and help families. And one of the things he taught me, which is profound, and I sit and tell every couple that I meet with, is that people have a, a huge misunderstanding about what the nature of marriage is. Most people believe marriage is a partnership, a 50-50 proposition. And I've alluded to this. Some people think it's a 50-50 proposition. Now, you, it's funny that you, you, you feel this, but it's not what you agree to. You stand up in front of all your friends and family and you say, I will love you regardless of what you do. I will love you for better or for worse. I will pursue your desires. And then you stand there while they say the same thing to you. But you don't say, and I heard a comedian say, can we just stop with all these celebrity weddings, and I'm not picking on celebrities, it's just celebrities, it's just known for like how long is the marriage gonna last, but that's normal. Everybody does this because everybody has the same idea of what marriage is. It's a partnership. Let's just make the marriage vows like this. I'm here now, I dressed up, my family's here, you look hot. As long as this is working and I feel good, I'm in. As soon as I don't like it and I'm not happy, I think we're gonna have to make a, a change. It's like, well, at least you're being honest because that's what most people sign up for. It's actually, if it gets really hard, but then you go, well, what you're doing is you go, but wait, Joel, what if they cross the line? What if they cross the line? You're gonna email me. They cross the line. And you know what I'm gonna say? I'm gonna say, God hates that they cross the line. They're not supposed to cross the line. God wants every person to be transformed into the likeness of Christ and he hates the fact that what he did or what she did has caused this thing in your marriage that's causing this friction and this problem. He hates it. It's not what he wants. Why do you think Jesus died on the cross? So that he could, you know, take away your master, which is sin and death, and give you a new master, the Lord of life. So that every moment that you walk, you can walk in light and goodness. Oh yeah, but Joel, but tell me what to do. I'm not gonna tell you what to do. I'm gonna tell you that God has no interest and us falling in love with any other version of love than the kind that he exhibits to us. So, so we have this idea that it's a 50-50 proposition, it's a partnership, and that's a business idea, right? It's conditional. 
I'll, I'll pay the rent as long as you take out the trash, whatever it is, right? We'll, we'll supply this widget as long as you give us, the, whatever it is, it's conditional. And as soon as you stop giving us those chemicals, then we're done, we got it, this is, a, this is over. But that's not at all what God's relationships are in the Bible, and that's not what you read about. What you see in the Bible is a covenant, a relationship that says, I'm 100% in no matter what. I'm 100% in, and I am bringing God's heart to the table. And I know for this to work, my heart has to become like God's heart. And so we get to look at what God's heart is, but plainly said, marriage is a covenant, not a partnership. Marriage is a covenant, not a partnership. In my wedding vows, I don't have people say partnership. I I have people say, today I'm making a covenant with God to love you all the days of my life. And so this picture of Abraham and Abram uh, is a picture of covenant. It's a picture of covenant. So here's what's going on in the passage. If you read it and you were like, that's so weird. Why did Abram, when he was told to go get a cow, cut the cow in half? If you didn't think that, then you missed it. Because it's very weird. What's going on in the passage is Abram has already has a promise from God to have an offspring and that his offspring would be this blessing and create this family in this nation. Well, they get old, and so Abram is kind of, he's moaning and groaning to God, and he's like, it's never gonna happen. And then he says the thing that you say when you wanna enter into a partnership. Give me proof. Give me proof that, that you're gonna fulfill the promise. Come on, tell me, what, how will I know? I think there's a word he says. How will I know that you're gonna do what he says? And so God says, oh, you wanna do the, like, the partnership thing that you guys all do? Because in that culture, when you would make a business deal, you would take your most valuable assets and they would take their most valuable assets and you'd bring them to the table and you would, you would offer them. And so God's like, oh, you wanna, do, you wanna do the partnership thing? Go and get a heifer. So Abram's like, okay, we're gonna enter into a partnership, a conditional agreement. And then that day, here's how you would do it. He brings a heifer, you cut it in half. The other party brings a heifer and cuts it in half and whatever other animals. So they're bleeding and they've made an aisle of blood. And the way that the, that the partnership would work is you'd walk through the bloody animals and go to the other side to the person and you'd say, I will keep my end of the deal up. If I don't, let it be done to me what was done to my most valuable assets. And the other person would say the same because that's like, remember when you were a kid and your blood brothers? We shook on it. When you, when you make a commitment with blood, especially with your most valuable assets, you are saying, I'm very serious about this. That I, that I just took, you know, old Cletus the cow here and cut her in half. Like, that's how serious I am, right? That's, that, that tells the person, man, this person's in, and they're gonna do it, and if not, then I, I have every right. They, they, I have every right to change the deal. It's a conditional partnership. So that's what's profound about the story. Abram does all that, but then you don't see Abram walk through the aisle. What happens to Abram? Abram falls asleep. And God shows up, and all throughout the scriptures, God is often manifested in fire, and he shows up in this torch and pot, and he walks through the aisle alone as if to say, this covenant will be upheld because I will uphold both ends. It's his way of saying, if you don't do what you promise to do, I'm still gonna do what I promise to do. I'm gonna do what I said I would do. And that is, in fact, what happens with Abram. He lies. He's not faithful to it all the time. He, 
He has a, a kid with a mistress. I mean, he doesn't obey all the, the, the ideas, and that brings curses. If you, if you kind of go against the spirit of a, of a covenant, you will have problems. You will have issues. But God, even in the midst of Abram's unfaithfulness, stays faithful. And he says, you will even think it's gonna go, go wrong. Isn't that crazy what he talks about in that passage? He says, I'm gonna give you the land and I'm gonna give you the offspring and look at the stars. That's how many people are gonna be blessed. You're gonna have a child. He says, you're gonna, your, your offspring, they're gonna spend years in slavery. But I will hear their cry and I will deliver them and I will give them the promised land. I mean, the whole thing is a picture of marriage. The, the picture of the Israelites in tyranny, in slavery, are going, God, where are you? I thought you were gonna do what you were gonna do. I thought you were gonna be faithful. And he's like, I am. I will always do what I say I'm gonna do. So this is a picture of God's heart, his covenant. Marriage is not a partnership. Marriage is not where you say, if you, then I. Marriage is where you say, I, my constitution, my brand of love, my heart has been transformed by the power of the living God. And the way I view this for what it is, is I'm all in no matter what. And what happens is when two people commit to that, you see something miraculous. This is what I want couples to understand. And you, you, you ask the question, right? You ask the perfect question. Well, how many times should I forgive? And how much should I forgive? And how, what if they, okay, like I said to you, if you're in an abusive situation, boundaries are healthy. I won't tell you to stay there. Go to a different place. Go to your mom's. Go to your dad. No way. No way put up with that behavior. But I will tell you that God's heart is that he doesn't want divorce. God's heart is that he, he, he doesn't want this thing to break up. That's not what he wants. He never, ever wants that. But I would never tell someone, oh, just stay in it and win them over, you know, and let them. No, 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 no. Boundaries communicate love. Like I said, it's, it's a way of saying your behavior is not acceptable. And I have told many women and men, move out of the situation because you need to communicate very clearly that this behavior is not okay and you need to be safe. And that matters to God. But you gotta understand, when something goes wrong, now for the majority, it's I'm not happy or they're not doing that thing, or they bother me so much all the time when they, whatever. My wife does this thing, oh my gosh. Such a little thing. She throws trash in the sink. Like she'd be like working, and like a little piece of trash will go in the sink. And I'm like, you know I have to take that out and put it in the real trash? Just put it in the real trash the first time. These are the types of little things that aren't anything, I'm genuinely not bothered by it, but it's just an example of how this is what I talk to people about. I'm just not happy anymore. And then they say the thing at the dinner, they do the whatever, they, they go too long, they're out too late, and then, it just, then you just create this thing of this person's a horrible person and they don't make me happy anymore. Here's the reality of forgiveness. When Jesus is asked about how to forgive, he says you do it infinitely. The only reason Jesus ever tells anyone to forgive someone infinitely is because that is the nature of God's heart. How many times should we forgive? 70 times seven. 
As many, that's the heart of God. God has a heart of forgiveness. But how do we forgive? Well, to whom much is forgiven, it's easier to forgive. When you, when you, for, when you understand that from a spiritual perspective, every one of us, the Bible says, and this is that theology, right? You go to the cross. When you understand that you are a sinful being and apart from God's imputed righteousness, you are evil and separated from God and your one sin is equal to breaking all the law. And you, your righteousness is as filthy rags and you're a sinner and so am I. And when you realize that when you go to Christ and he forgives you really of the same amount of sin as that other person, then you really do, if you get that, have a hard time looking at someone and going, well, I've been forgiven so much, but I can't forgive. You see, when God, when you understand the weight and the, the tally of your sin, and then God re relieves you from it, and you understand his grace and forgiveness, it starts to shift your direction. You go, wow, that's giving me a new heart. And then you look at the way and the manner with which Jesus forgives is dying on a cross to be the Messiah, the one who takes on the weight, sin, and death of the world, because he had to in order for us to be bought out of sin and death, you go, man, it's really hard if that's my savior to not emulate him at a heart level as it's related to forgiveness. Now, here's the reality, is that it takes time. Your heart is not just gonna just be soft. Your heart is not just gonna forgive people, but it's gonna start, and that's the test. Forgiveness is the test of whether or not your heart is becoming like God. It's not a test. I'm not saying that God is going to test you by having your spouse or someone do something that makes you so mad that it's hard to forgive them, and then if you don't forgive them, then you know you don't have the heart of God. And I'm not saying that the one spouse gets to go to the other spouse and say, Joel said that you have to forgive me or you're not like God, and give you license. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, Forgiveness is an evaluation of where your heart is. So when the thing is happening, or whatever it is, you can look at your heart. And I'm not saying there's not boundaries, and I'm not saying there's not recourse, and I'm not saying there's not new situations and circumstances and different behaviors and all types of stuff. But if you get through all that and you look at your heart, do you have a forgiving heart? Rick Warren, he said that marriage is the combination of two professional forgivers. Do you know who uh, the most professional forgiver of all time is? Of course, right? It's Christ. He's the epitome of the forgiving God. And so we will not be able to be in covenant marriage unless our hearts are softened. And this is what God is capable of. God is capable of turning your heart of stone into a heart of flesh. God is capable of taking a dead body and making it resurrect to new life. God is capable of making beauty from ashes. That's what he does. That's his business of making all things new, of new creation. First creation, new creation. He has the ability to give you the kind of covenant heart of love that he designed you to have in marriage. That's what he does. You can get to the point where you actually want to forgive. 
Have you seen these stories, right? These, these amazing stories where someone is sitting in a, you know, they're sitting in the, uh, in the courtroom and, and family member is sitting there with, you know, the killer of someone in their house, their family. And the, the, the victim's family looks at the killer and says, I just want you to know I forgive you. And they're compassionate. I saw one the other week where the, the victim's family went over the line, went over and through the door to the killer and wrapped himself around and hugged them and, and kissed them on the neck and said, I forgive you, God loves you. Now, again, you're going, wait a minute, what should I do? No, 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 stop. We're talking about the heart of God. This is the heart of God. It's a heart of God that says, well, how, why? Are, did you want God to come to you with a certain amount that he's gonna forgive you for? Do you feel that you don't add up to the person next to you, that you're less of a sinner? Every one of us has to stand before God and go, I'm so grateful that he wipes away my sin and that's the kind of love I want in my heart. I want the 100% all in, I'm in a covenant marriage type of love. That's the kind of love I have. And you move towards that. You know, I was, uh, in terms of giving people practical advice, I'll give you one thing. And this is profound. I was talking to someone this week. I've had many, many people reach out because they just, in crisis, right? I mean, what do we do? What's going on? Talking to someone recently who's been married for over 25 years and they just feel it's not gonna work. It's just not gonna happen. And they're Christian, been to lots of different churches, talked to lots of different pastors. And effectively, they won out, right? I can't do it, you know? Then I gave some ideas, and I said, here's the thought. How about before we do anything, we do this? I asked the question, have you intentionally, specifically, daily, for at least 30 days in a row, gone to God in your closet in the morning and prayed specifically to Jesus for the thing you're asking to have changed, changed? And this person said, they, they barely could speak. They started weeping. They said, I just want you to know that 20 years and no one has told me to do that. And I said, well, that's amazing. I said, here we go. Will you commit to 30 days of getting on your knees and praying to God and asking him, God, Will you do this thing? Will you fix them? Will you fix me? Will you bring life to our marriage? God, I need you. I want you. I need help. We need something. Just for three minutes, just pour out your heart to God and ask him in the name of Jesus to do something. And I said, you know the story of the persistent widow? Jesus tells this parable. He, he's like, you keep praying, God answers prayer. God's gonna do something. I don't know what God's gonna do. But this is a compassionate, loving God who is in the business of changing people's hearts. And if you go to him daily and you say, God, I really need you. My heart is hard. God, I really, like, it's just ashes. I need a rose. God, like, I just don't like them anymore. They bother me. I bother them. It's not working. It's bad for the kids. The finances, I'm anxious. But whatever it is, just say it to God and say, God, help me. And watch what God will do. He'll do something. He'll do something in you. He'll do something in them. You know, this is uh, the beginning of Lent. You know, Ash Wednesday. This week, 
The quintessential passage for Ash Wednesday is Joel chapter two. Joel chapter two, what's happening is all of Israel has locusts and a famine and there's fires and it's all burning down and it's all a mess. And in in Joel chapter two, it says this, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. This is a God of love. Go to him in prayer. Put all the burden on him to change hearts. Go to him and say, God, you gotta change my heart. You gotta change our hearts. I can't, I can't do it. I want covenant love. I wanna be in this all the way. And the only way that I can do it is if my heart becomes like your heart, where Abraham falls asleep. My spouse is asleep, they're not doing it. But I need something new, I need something fresh. Do it for me, change my heart. One of the most profound prayers a, a, a Christian can ever pray, it's humble, it's real, is God, change me, change me. That recognition is profound. Tyler Stan said this, prayer properly understood and practiced is the seed from which all fruitfulness grows. Mother Teresa said this, prayer enlarges the heart until it is capable of containing God's gift of himself. You have to go to God in prayer. A transformed heart, a covenant heart is the only way. And so like I said to you, email me. We'll talk about your situation. I don't know what we're gonna do except pray. I don't know what we're gonna do except let the waves crash over us and eventually we see and we feel and we're just kind of covered in the love of God and we're just moved and we're just new creatures. That's what we're gonna do. So let's take a moment and let's pray to God for ourselves and for each other. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Like, we need you. Like, God, our hearts, some of them are just hard. We're just, we're scared. We don't know. We need more. We need to fulfill this picture of you, and we can't do it without you. And God, we need a heart of forgiveness and a heart of compassion And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that if there's anybody in here and and their husband, their husband, and they're, they're not loving their wife the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, I pray in the name of Jesus they would repent right now. They would turn from that. They would change their mind. They would change their attitude. They would change their behaviors. They would, they would seek counseling and ask friends and start to pray in a whole new way. I pray in the name of Jesus that they would do that. I pray for wives in here who, who are, are, are acting horrifically towards their husband or they've shut their heart off or they're bitter or they're done. I pray that they would repent. I pray that they would stop saying those things and doing those things that bring harm and they would repent and they would turn and go a different direction and go the direction of Christ, gentle, kindness, loving, patience. Father, in the name of Jesus, we need your Holy Spirit to do the thing that only it can do, which is transform our hearts into covenant hearts. 
to where we experience love and feel love and do life in a brand new living way. That's what we need, God. And I pray for those that have been through divorce and their hearts are shattered and their hopes have been dashed, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would kneel and lift them up and they would feel your love and grace and feel your, your arms and your compassion, your tears. And then they would turn to you, the Lord of, of salvation, and then they would find you. The God who hates divorce and they would see something new in their life and in their future. And I pray for those in here who are moving towards marriage. I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that they would, in this moment, that the spirit of the living God, that the seed of the Holy Spirit of God would start to move in their hearts, that the brand of love that they, that they move towards, that they ascribe to, that they aspire to, that it would just move into a whole different direction, that it would just become rooted in the love of God and in the sacrificial love of God and Jesus, and that the Holy Spirit would just kind of massage and do things in the, that young couple's heart that only it can do to where there's an alertness and an attentiveness and a, and a Holy Spirit presence in their eyes and mind that when they look at their spouse-to-be, they just think to themselves, what a grand joy it is to love this person the way that Christ loved this person. And that they would surrender their will to this person's well-being and give them everything they need and more. And Father, it's in the name of Jesus that this community might become um, a picture, might become exemplary as it's related to how we love one another. Father, it is, it is you, it is Jesus who said that the world will look at Christians and see how we love one another and by that will glorify you. Help us to be great at loving one another and give us the heart to do so. We love you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. I know this is a lot. Don't run from it. Have a conversation with someone this week. And if you haven't signed up already, we have a class that John is teaching. The cross has a story. It's gonna be absolutely wonderful moving into the Easter season. So sign up for that if you want to. You can do that online or you can take a picture of this right now. Love you guys. We'll see you next week.